welcome to Mimeo's Talk of the Trade. I'm Mike McNary. In addition to leading the sales organization here at Mimeo, I'm also interested in unlocking the secrets of sales and marketing. In each episode, I talk with creative leaders to find out how they approach problems like motivating sales teams, structuring the revenue cycle, and fitting product to market. At the end of the conversation, you and I have new takeaways to apply to our everyday life. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everyone. Mike McNary here, welcoming you to another episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. Excited for our episode today, titled Stop Telling Stories and Start Making Your Business Case. Our guest today is Timur Hitchelmas. He's the co-founder of Insight Revenue, and I'm really excited to have him on the pod. Welcome, Timur. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're excited to, to get into it. And uh, for, for those in the audience that might not know a lot about you, um, tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Sure. I'm a, I'm a researcher by trade, but slightly different than maybe most of your audience. And I've done research on a lot of things. I've done, I've done it around but with like clinical operations. I've done, done research on like the energy preferences of consumers in Japan. But sales and marketing has really become my, my thing. I spent many years at a company called CB, now now acquired by Gartner. Um, it's where I led the study. That's what, what became the the challenger, the challenger book and the challenger method. Um, yep. The the study design was was mine, and uh, the and the sort of the analysis that came up with this notion is: look, there are many ways you could go about the world of selling. Uh, turns out people have you know fall into one of five profiles. And um, guess what? One approach is a lot more successful than than any of the others. That right. sort of, you know, it's that insight. Um, in some ways, is the insight that stuck. I, um, you know, I so I spent a lot of time around you. How do you get people to replicate those behaviors and skills? Like, mm-hmm. what's what's necessary for it? And so what? And what we're currently embarked on? It's me and a couple of others. We've we're building out this new company, Insight Revenue. And our goal really is to um, help people transform their sales efforts. Yeah, I love that. And, and listen, you know, if you're selling today and you're not familiar with the the challenger method, um, you know, you probably have either haven't been around for long or you haven't been paying much attention. So that's really impressive. Um, it's touched a lot of salespeople, and I think uh, helped a lot of people close a lot of business over the years. So um, I hope that's really so. Cool I my 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 this is my sincere belief that honestly, like most people should be able to demonstrate the key the key skills in it. Um, yeah. I say this slightly jokingly, but honestly, in some ways, the takeaway is look, if in doubt, try and be interesting to your customer. Right. Like, right. Well deliver said. a message that's <laughs> relevant, interesting, that they think they're going to be able to use. And if you don't remember anything else, try and do that, and you're yep. much more likely to succeed. And yeah. by the way, there are many ways I can help you become more more interesting. I don't doubt that. <laughs> and so, you know, you mentioned your newest venture, you know, your co-founder of Insight Revenue uh, with your partners. But what's been your favorite thing about starting Insight? I think the best part is in some ways you get liberated from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, look, there, there are three of us. We've, we all have bring a lot of experience to bear. We've worked in a variety of different settings. And if you work in a much larger company setting, you know, you, you become captive to your niche a little bit. You you have yeah. a viewpoint. Um, you make decisions, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. But it gets very hard to sort of escape escape what you've done in the past. For us, this is a great chance to like start a game. We, we um, you know, our vision is we think we can do this better. 
Right. You know, we're we're going to build on the the research and the findings of the past, but we're going to adapt it to to a more modern age. And I'm loving the conversation so far. That that's that's really exciting. If somebody wanted to reach out to to you and your partners at Insight Revenue, how would they do that? Honestly, they should LinkedIn is probably the easiest yeah. thing. The um, it's um, if they even if they man, if you even if you manage to only half spell my name right, chances are you'll find me. I think it's pretty unique. There aren't that many Hitchilmuzzes on LinkedIn. They might all be related to me. I don't know. They, <laughs> you'll you'll find me very easily, Tim. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, and and I think um, I, I like that notion of starting a new right, and um, you know, gifting your insights and expertise. Um, in a way, you know, that is kind of complementary with other folks in your organization to bring valuable uh, insights and teachings to people. I think that's really cool. So good on you for getting it started. And, you know, we wish you the best of luck with Insight. And I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so let's get into the, the episode uh, and, and talk a little bit about um, some, some of our topics for today. I'm going to start with kind of a bigger question, but I know it's a perfect setup for you. Um, I'm talking to a lot of sales leaders, uh, networking, and just through some relationships I have. Why are so many sales teams struggling to close deals these days? I mean, yeah, it's it is that is the conversation. I mean, I think I think there are two sides to the equation. Some of it is structural, right? Like I wouldn't say this was a recession exactly, but it's certainly a loss of confidence. The um, um, a part of me thinks, you know, beginning of COVID, everybody thought the world was going to end. It didn't end. In fact, it was boom time, especially in technology. And then interest rates started to go up. Everything else happened. And so in some ways, it's, it's I almost feel like all of people's worst fears, they're now realizing them a little bit. Yeah. But, but this is certainly not the financial crisis. Like I was around in that point, and I remember getting calls from clients asking us about, you know, how to manage accounts receivables. Like that, that was a genuine financial crisis. This, I don't sure. think, is anywhere near there. Um, it's more pronounced in sales than anywhere else, in, in technology sales, I think. Um, you know, in, interest rates make a big difference. Like the cheap, the cheap money is gone. You know, and suddenly people start looking at at value much more yeah, closely. I agree. With software sales, I think you also have the fact that, you know, one of our experts made this point. So for the longest time, the fact that, you know, you have a platform, it's in the cloud, you no longer need to have it on premises, you can offload all the staff expenses, it becomes a variable expense. For a lot of SaaS, there's a great default business case. You almost don't need to articulate it. Like searching the CFO and the CTO, they knew this really well. Um, yep. That alone, I think, drove a lot of momentum. That's that's no longer true. And yeah. then growth has, and you know, this this is right. Trying to be a little controversial, you know, growth I think is is not just easier. It rewards good storytellers, right? Because yeah. growth, because when it's a time of growth, your job is to capture as much of that revenue as you can in the shortest time as possible. So you're, so you're looking to buy stuff. You'll you'll build things. Um, and if and if I can give you a good story around how to capitalize on it, then you were probably quite quite successful. I agree. Now, however, you know times times are a little harder. Um, the, there is much more scrutiny on purchases, and that skill alone isn't going to carry you very far. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I think storytelling is an amazing skill. I wish I could, I could do, I could do some of it, but you can't just rely on that. And I think right. it's, and we're seeing a sort of a, what I would describe as a sort of a systematic shift towards needing to deliver value on the terms of the product. And right. that's, and that's a lot of like much more careful work up front. Like that's in the, in, as you're doing discovery, that's more, that's much more figuring out, like beyond the user pain. And honestly, I think, and I watch a lot of calls, right, for a living. Um, I think reps and, and companies are actually really fairly good at articulating the user pain. And that's often experienced by lots and lots and lots of people. Um, but where they struggle a little bit is to be able to take that pain and link it to sort of one of the va- you know one of a a, t- a top level value driver like how for example yeah. does your product actually deliver product you know increase productivity or how does it quantitatively speaking right quantitatively yeah. speaking um, honestly half the time I think I'd settle for just an inference chain you know just yeah. just being able to say look look our product you know does this does this does this we'll get you that. And more leads means more pipeline, which means more closed deals if you keep consistent conversion rates. It's actually, you know, that's a very basic equation. But what you're saying is it doesn't necessarily have to look particularly hardy on a spreadsheet, but something that can follow the logic and understand how it's going to impact their business and, and affect their bottom line. That might get you there better than just the story. Exactly. That'll start getting yep. you there. I'm a bit of luck to have a conversation with you because. Most people's business, you know, everybody's business is a little different. Their numbers are going to be different. Their baseline is going to be different. You start piecing together that model with them. And then I think you'll finally have a sense of, you know, okay, here's the ROI we can deliver. And very importantly, I think, is the counterpoint, especially in a time where, you know, people are resistant to making purchases. And the counterpoint is, so what's the risk you're avoiding by making making the purchase? Like, what's the risk of the status quo? And I think a right. lot of people think of the, you know, cost of the cost of inaction as a little bit of like the value you didn't realize. That's not actually the case. That's a little bit like, you know, I wish I'd bought Apple stock in, you know, in 1995. I mean, exactly. Right. Like that's that's not an actual loss. The yeah. loss is more, it's like it's this is more like the household insurance you didn't buy. And thus, you know, in the case of a fire, you are still exposed to this gigantic risk. Right. Um, and and that's that's the other part of I think the the value equation, like how to how to talk about the downside of the risk. And yeah. the we've we've been partnering, for example, with with Matt Dixon and Ted McKenna around the Jolt effect. Okay, they, yeah. They they you know Matt is like one of the original authors of the Challenger of the Challenger book, and the what they have now delivered and built upon is much more sort of the the advanced psychology of the sale. Because you can imagine the thing, right? You've, you've got an agreement, all things being equal. If we bought this, we think there might be an ROI. And yet, too many deals don't happen. They stall. They, they don't go out of the buying group. And what, what Matt, I think, has identified beautifully is like, so what are those unarticulated pain points? Like what, right. what what does the buyer care about? And they're going to be, and those are going to be very personal things. They're going to be things like, you know, they're they're literally afraid of messing up because the last time they implemented XYZ thing, it was a disaster. Their career survived, but they may, might not survive it twice. Exactly. Or, you know, do, do you really want to go to your CFO when times are tough and be like, you know, what I'd really like to do is to buy X. Right. Like you can't do that without a good business case. Yeah. Because the CFO at least, um, 
you know, they're not going to buy adjectives. Yeah. At least I haven't met one who is very open to buying an adjective like not customer experience. Yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to buy something called customer experience. They right. would like to know what that customer experience actually translates into in terms of, you know, dollars and cents. And they're involved in more deals now because of that, you know, what you said about the hesitation around, you know, indirect and direct spend and the uncertainty around the economy and the cost of money. So all yeah. those things are driving them to be even further uh, involved than they were previously, right, Demer? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like on one hand, yes, cost of money has gone up. On the other hand, I, it, this is a pure hypothesis. My suspicion a little bit is that so AI is generative AI in particular, for a lot of companies has sparked the thought of, ah, what should we do with AI? Because yeah. it offers you an opportunity to actually build something brand new that wasn't there. And AI, unlike a lot of um, current software, is, is really expensive. You're going to need cash flow. And the use cases aren't really that obvious, I don't think. Like what we have right now are, are some you know, some of it's very useful, some of it's very clever, some of it's a little gimmicky. Mm -hmm. um, but I can guarantee you that won't be true in, in five, five, ten years. Because I'm old enough to remember people sort of said the same thing about CRM systems once upon a time. Like, I remember right. having, like, slightly incredulous conversations with people where they're like, you know, this thing won't catch on. It's too complicated. It's too yeah. slow. Like, it doesn't measure anything. Yeah. Put yeah. it into this database or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No. Exactly. And, you know, all of those objections were true at that point in yeah, time. Like the fair. systems really work lucky on slow. <laughs> they didn't stay that for too long. Yeah. And whoever cracks this, I mean, it's going to be the next. You know, I think we're all seeing it, right? You just mentioned everyone's trying to figure out a way to utilize this in a way that is beyond gimmick and. We'll call it, you know, immediate, you know, we'll call them small, immediate recurring returns, but like big picture value, who, who's going to crack the code kind of thing, right? Right. No, exactly. Like somewhere there is like clearly, I'm sure people are working on all kinds of like middleware that that sort of, you know, finds the data, combines it um, in a in a reasonably viable way yeah. and and makes it makes it available to you. And we're just talking about the sales applications. The whole thing is, you know, the potential for for uh, for things, uh, you know, fantastic and, and terrifying are, are all there, right? All of that, but, way above my pay grade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you said it, man. <laughs> I don't think either you or I are going to determine the fate of how AI affects humanity, but I think <laughs> no. in sales, it could it could be a thing, right? And I think it's already starting to become one. Oh, I mean, it's um, already like. I'm, on one hand, I'm getting some. I, I was receiving. It's interesting, the fashion for this seems to have gone out. I was receiving some really terrible, clearly AI generated emails. Yeah, there's a you lot know, out. Little, yeah, little 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 sonnets sort of playing on my <laughs> LinkedIn profile, uh, and you're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well done. Don't don't email me again. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, like if you want to do research fast, it's tremendous, right? Like you yeah, can take one so of the too. take one of the chat programs and just type in like, you know, like restricting yourself to, you know, A, B, C, D, E companies, tell me how they differentiate themselves relative to each other. Right. Yeah, that's uh, what, assuming yeah, the I mean, companies are big enough and there's sort of publicly available data on it, the answer you get back is more than credible. Yep. And, no, I think it, it gives you scour. a great starting point. Yeah, it, it can. It can scour, you know, so many information sources so quickly. I mean, it's astounding, actually. And now a message from Mimeo, your podcast sponsor. 
Here are three things you should know about Patricia Parker. She organizes 38 trade shows per year. She is a scrupulous business shopper, and she saved her marketing team $40,000 in hard costs in one year. Once upon a time, Patricia's team at WEG relied on an internal print facility to handle marketing collateral. They paid a yearly lease, plus costs of ink and paper for each print project. When their offices shut down during the pandemic, Patricia realized they needed a different solution. She reached out to four different digital printers. After doing full due diligence, she chose Mimeo as her new vendor. Now, Patricia's team places orders online whenever they need them. Says Patricia, we check regularly to see how much we spent in print with Mimeo compared to what it would have been with our leased printer. Each month, we save 50% by using Mimeo. Honestly, switching to Mimeo is the best thing we ever did. Read Patricia's full story at bit.ly slash mimeoprint or call 901-566-8900 to speak to a rep today. That's bit.ly forward slash m-i-m-e-o-p-r-i-n-t. And now back to your episode. Yeah, you know, getting to use it and, and I'm still trying to figure out and I think my reps are. And, and you know what, actually, it brings me to kind of uh, uh, the next topic I wanted to touch on with you. So we're talking about, you know, making this business case versus telling the story when you're trying to gain traction and, you know, uh, uh, the yes and the implementation from, you know, a prospective buyer. Um, so everyone's trying to do something uh, with less, right? Uh, maybe less heads, less um, investment in one area or another, but oftentimes they're, they're kind of flocking to technology to get that done, right? So it might not be AI, but it could be something else. What's the, you know, how do you implement new tech or a new solution in your tech stack in a way that ensures it will be successful and it will deliver some returns, right? Just generally speaking. Kevin. Yeah, no, generally speaking. I mean, what I've seen a lot, and I've, and I've done some research on this, um, you know, technology is very structured. It it's, mm -hmm. it it gives you it gives works, and I think a lot of what happens is when people see a slightly sort of you know maybe a more haphazard, chaotic environment, or the you know the outcomes don't seem to be as repeatable as they would like them to be, they tend to think, ah, oh, if only if we used X Y Z thing, then everybody has to, is going to have to do it in this way, right. and we will have solved our problem. In practice, though, honestly, I think it's the other way around. Because if you if you just take the if you just take technology and you give it to people, well, they don't literally have to use it. Not your high-performing salespeople. Like they like that is that you know group of people is different from other groups of people who might have to use it. And so right. a lot of what I've seen is honestly, my biggest recommendation was make sure you have a pretty good sense of like how to manage this thing. Um, yes. That you could say that implicitly, this is how we work to do this. And then I think you can use technology to make it more efficient. You can overcome the bottlenecks. If you have a group of people who are used to doing one thing in a particular way, you might even be able to transform the way they do it through technology. Mm -hmm. But what you're I not going to be able to do is sort of take this thing, give it to people and hope that it achieves the change you want. Yeah, that would be that's my that's my that's my biggest recommendation. I think yeah. you're right on. 
I've seen too many times where people will dump a solution in without getting some sort of consensus amongst the end users or even having a structured, you know, implementation training process and maybe not even marrying it to some part of their playbook. I mean, how important is that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's like you, you really do need to integrate these things things in yeah. a little bit more. Um, the um, my, other, my other thing with technology is um, I think the technology also makes it a little bit too easy to ask people to do their jobs perfectly. Um, what I mean with that is, like, like in, in some ways, like you, see, you, it's the word playbook that triggered the fall. So I've certainly seen playbooks that are literally several hundred pages long, which is absurd. And, well, I mean, yeah, I mean they're beautiful. Um, they are uh, an immense amount of money and time has been spent on these things. Every eventuality is accounted for. I cannot imagine a single person actually has read them. Not, not, yeah. especially not if they were actually doing their jobs well. Like high performers in particular, like what would you like them to do? Would you like them to read the playbook or would you like them to go talk to a customer? Yeah. Um, and I think too often you end up with a lot of sort of dead technology, sort of shelfware, I think yep. is, is the phrase. An I awful agree. Lot of, yeah, an awful lot of really well-meaning efforts that the, you know, the doers in the best will in the world couldn't, couldn't really execute on. Yeah, you give somebody you know, a hundred things to do. They're going to do very few of them very well, right? Basically, can, they'll stick to they'll stick to what works. What works you got what it. Works, right? and what works for them, That's right? It. And then you'll have everyone doing something a little bit differently. And um, I once had a, a guest on the show, Timur, that kind of put it this way: It's like you can have what he called artists on the sales floor, right? People who kind of do things their own way, but are able to find great success because they have certain skill sets or capabilities or natural talents. That allow them to, you know, thrive with a unique go-to-market strategy or, you know, customer engagement approach, however you like to, to put it. But you can't have an entire floor of artists, right? You can't have it. No, not no, not. I mean, may, may I mean, maybe if you're sort of like I don't know, a very high-end firm of architects, yes, maybe each partner yeah. does it differently. Maybe, but you yeah. couldn't. You you can't. You couldn't scale an organization that way. And I agree. The um. But the and if you see that happening, my suspicion has always been that the organization at some level is subscale. Like in a sense of mm. I mean, I've definitely had companies, clients where you know they sell sort of they sell a service where whose applications is very undefined. Um, you yeah. know, it could be used in very different ways, could be used by organizations large and small. And suddenly you end up selling into, um, you know, it's on paper, it's a market, but actually every use case is very, very different. And at that point, the thing really does start fracturing. Um, That I think is a commercially really tough place to be because you then have to, you know, you have to make an assessment about like whether these sort of micro segments, could any one of them ever be large enough to scale? So you could yep. have some example, to make it worthwhile, right? To make it worthwhile, or you end up with what you often see, which is like people de facto end up being specialists, and and yep. no sort of and and honestly, there's no technology on earth can accommodate that amount of variation. Yep. The no, I think that's really well said. You know, you're handling a number of different ICPs and maybe different platforms that can service you know all these verticals and you know target yeah. audiences and it sounds really great in some respects because you have all this total addressable market right so hey, we well, can call anybody right, right. no exactly but 
you know, yeah. in the end, you know, the real scale is going to come from that repetition, knowing who to call, how to position, you know, how to catch their ear and then how to convert. Right. And right. if you're trying to do that across, you know, 10 different audiences, it becomes a lot more difficult. And the uniformity of your sales force, like you said, that subscale position is a tough place to be in. That will be subscale. And, you, really and, well yeah. and you'll need more expensive. You probably need like much more expensively remunerated, like more senior people, honestly, to, to do that, to do that kind of selling. And for certain kind of businesses, that's fine. Like right now, we sort of have a consulting business. We obviously have a lot more variation in our system, let's say, you know, right. as fast form would have where the price list is literally on the shelf and you sort of you can you know you can get the app on your phone kind of thing yeah of course but you know that specialization you know has its value too it's just if you're trying to go from you know 20 million to 150 it's it's tough you know yeah, yeah. at that um, point at that point so, you need you need more process you? yeah i agree I, I really like that and i think I, you're so right about just kind of throwing the technology out there and just hoping for the best that people, you know, top sellers or even, you know, middle, middle ground performers are going to start adopting it in ways that totally, you know, change the way that they're able to, to, to interact with their their audiences. It's unlikely, right? It is. I think it is unlikely unless you, unless you plan for it very, very carefully. What, what do sellers, you know, that are interacting with prospects and customers every day, you know, what sort of modern tools do top performing people in those positions need to be proficient in that nowadays that they may not have mastered or had needed to master in the past? One of the first things I realized during the pandemic is we suddenly got lots of inbound inquiries into, so how do you do virtual calls? Because to a, huh. to a lot of lots of people in particular, you know, it's obviously like it's a very personal business. You turn up in somebody's office, you get a sense for, um, you know, you 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 do. It's people doing business with people. For the sure. pandemic changed that in a way that I'm not entirely convinced is ever really going to go away. In that, a lot of ver- business became much more virtual, and thus it became yeah. a lot more quantitative. Um, because it's it's on a screen. I can't literally read you. I'm going to rely on the numbers. I'm going to rely on the artifacts. So and that's that too. I think has driven driven some of the some of the changes. Um, yep. The the place where I see individual sellers get tremendous legs. I honestly, I think some of the individual productivity tools are tremendous. Um, yeah. I think. I mean, I see them being really well adopted. If anything, I see companies putting putting sort of blocks against them. If you can think of, you know, things like, I mean, like a, something like Calendly, for example. Yeah. My impression was that when that came out, a whole bunch of high performers started using those things, whether or not their corporate systems enabled them or not. It was a bit like a BlackBerry once upon a time. Like I remember yeah. when that came out, like, you know, people would just get would just buy Blackberries, whether or yes. not that accommodated the yeah. um whether or not you know corporate infrastructure accommodated that or not. Um so it's always been I've done a lot of research around tools. High performers are, it's interesting, they'll try anything once. Yes. They um, they they use more tools than anybody else, typically. They'll try all the new ones in the hope it gives them an edge. If it works, they'll keep at it. Um, and then they'll use different different ones to, to keep, keep getting an edge. Um, yeah. But it's all around productivity. What I've never seen high performers have a great interest in, honestly, is logging data. Yeah, you said it, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean, one, it's a thankless task. Two, it 
it's, it's a dubious benefit to somebody personally. And three, the pipeline meeting is going to be excruciating anyway. Um, yeah. Like, and so I think a lot of the, <laughs> so a lot of the best sort of sales IT, I think, has now recognized, okay, let's stop asking people to input data. Let's see if we can find the data and derive it from, from real interactions. Yeah. Like a lot of like a lot of call audit tools, honestly. Like we have some partnerships. Like just being able to sort of get a sense for like what are the real communications that are happening on email between a rep and a customer. I don't need to know I don't even need to know what they say. I just need to know are the conversations happening? Like yeah. that data is far more reliable, tells me an awful lot more about a relationship and an engagement than any CRM entry would tell me. Yep. When are the interactions happening? Are they happening at the right intervals? Right. Are we talking to the right people in exactly. what way, you know, format wise? I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think those are better indicators of future success than a lot of the more subjective stuff that we tend to dig into. Yeah. The, um, and partly because I tend to think, um, Honestly, in some ways, I've always thought it was a little. It's especially towards the end of a tough quarter. It's a, it's it's a really hard question to ask somebody. Like essentially, you're asking them. So, um, all things being equal, do you think you're going to make quota or not? And and if you're not, by the way, there are all kinds of repercussions to this. Like like, what are you supposed to say at that point? Not surprisingly, people will tell you, "Oh, it's great." We just need to talk to you know a few more people. We're going to push it over the line. It's you know, timing wasn't quite right. Well, you know, maybe 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 they're going to take a few three or four more weeks. Um, and and the the whole sort of the conversation you have around it makes it really hard for somebody to not provide you with bad data. Yep. Um, which you, is key. Probably, yeah. Which is key. The, um, yeah. It's, um, yeah, but the other part of it is having done forecasts for people is so nobody asks you for more forecasts than when times are tough. Um, they they keep on wanting another forecast, but then yeah, micromanagement you know, I, upticks uh, in everybody, even the more passive and you know broader thinking leaders. They're they're going to get more granular yeah. more often, right? It's, um, Yes, and I'm very literal-minded. At first, I thought they were worried about, like, you know, the precision of the forecast. But I remember just finally realizing this at the financial crisis. I was like, well, you I finally had the conversation. You know, so we could spend time on this, and I will get you a more precise estimate of how badly we're going to miss the quarter. But let me assure you, my forecast will not change the likelihood of us attaining this revenue. <laughs> but, but I think a lot of people really do think that if they just managed to forecast a little better, they'd get better revenue attainment. And the forecast is different. Like, that's, yeah. that's yeah. It, it's not that... Because again, back to sort of a system that could look at the engagement, maybe at the beginning of a sale, if you realize that, okay, you had a conversation with a senior person, then nothing happens for two weeks, then maybe if you had intervened, maybe you could do something. Yeah, I but, love that. But you can't really do that sort of after the fact, closer closer to the end. I agree. And I think, you know, the, the people that, it, it, you know, top sellers are going to probably bring in the same amount of revenue regardless of how well-maintained some of their forecast stuff is, right? Oh, often, often. Yeah. yeah. And, and to be fair, right. again, I've looked at time spent data of, of reps. And so one thing that happens for sure is, so the better you are, the more transactions you have to handle. Um, and so the very best reps often literally have no time 
towards the towards the end of the quarter. And I think that that part, everybody sort of knows it, but they don't necessarily accommodate it. Right. Um, and there are technologies, you know, like good deal, a good deal desk, for example, helps helps a lot. Like sales support helps a lot. So I think it's where sort of a good SDR BDR really or can, in fact, really be worth their weight in gold if they help them manage that. But it's just yeah. the numbers. You know, if you have 20 viable conversations versus eight viable conversations, and every single one of them needs a security review, and you're going to have to follow up after every single one of those security reviews. Well, yeah, you're not going to get that great data compliance. Yep. I'm with you. Timmer, this is, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm, I love some of your takes on this. A few that I'm kind of taking away from, from our conversation. Um, first is in this day and age, you've got to make business cases versus telling a story, right? Yeah. There's got to be an ROI that's measurable for CFOs making biz buying, big buying decisions, right? Yeah, you can't rely on just one kind of argument. Yeah. I totally that's, agree. That's right. the other way of thinking about it. Like a senior person, so there's limited due diligence you can do, right, about anything. But what you can do is you can listen, you can see if you get the same information if it's told in different ways. So, you know, you'd have a strong story, but if it isn't backed up in other ways, right there, you'd say, oh, this information is less reliable. You're much yeah. more likely to veto it. I totally agree. Another takeaway, Timur, is you know if you're going to implement te uh, tech to be more efficient, have a plan for adoption, implementation, and you know measuring success. And then finally, the modern seller's got to be a user of modern technology. It's table stakes nowadays. There are a lot of tools out there that can make you more efficient and know how to use them and when to use them, and you will probably close more deals and get more revenue. Yeah, if only because it saves you time. And the, the only solace there I can provide people is here. I'll, I'll risk one last hypothesis. My sense is that the platforms are consolidating for the yeah, moment. Yeah, I think so too. I do like too. everybody's, everybody, like, and, and, and before, it's a bit like once upon a time, you know, there used to be many word processing um, software, pieces of word yep. processing software. Now there's really only two or three. I suspect the same will happen to the sales. I'm day. with you. I'm <laughs> with you. I'm waiting for those days, right? This has been great, Timur. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast, um, share some of your insights and some of the conversations that you're having with your your, your clients. And uh, if anybody's listening wants to talk to Insight, uh, please reach out to them on LinkedIn and uh, give Timur a shout and uh, he can talk to you about your business. Okay? Great. Sound good? Thanks. Thanks, Michael. It was a great conversation. Yeah, yeah I appreciate really it very appreciate much, Timur. Thank you. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.